Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 23rd of November, 2022. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for us this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Ian, Liz, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have some local news of the black country, an update from Beacon, a few sight loss tips, the quiz with Mina, news from West Bromwich Albion and Wolves, a did you know section from Flashback Roger, this time looking at the world of cruise ships. This week's weather ahead, and to round us off with an article from our nature correspondent Rupert Evershed about our declining garden bird population. Local news to start, however, with Liz, Christine, myself Rob, but first up, it's Angela. Dudley Council has confirmed it will spend half a million pounds to stop houses being built on two pieces of greenbelt land in Kings Winford. The two Greenbelt sites were included in the controversial Black Country plan which saw Wolverhampton, Sandwell, Walsall and Dudley councils put forward sites for 76,000 homes to be built in the Black Country by 2039. Dudley Council's Cabinet approved plans to withdraw from the Black Country plan which had proposed 850 houses on the Triangle Swindon Road and land south of Holbeach Lane. More than 20,000 local residents opposed developing the King's Winford sites, which Dudley Council leader Councillor Patrick Harley cited as a major factor in going it alone by creating its own long-term housing plan. Dudley Council officers will now spend 18 months scouring the borough for enough brownfield sites to build the required number of houses that the government wants. The cost of compiling a Dudley-only housing plan will cost £500,000 over three financial years, from 2023-24 to 2025-26. The planning inspectorate in Bristol will then spend a year deciding whether the numbers stack up. Wolverhampton's Lighthouse Cinema may reopen to the public within months after the City Council received new offers to run the venue. The venue closed earlier this month after more than 30 years of trading with Wolverhampton Council, saying it had provided £330,000 of funding support over the last decade, but debt levels were unsustainable. 
Council leader Ian Brookfield said three expressions of interest had been made for the independent facility in the Chubb buildings since the charity operators ceased trading. But he said the offers were limited to reopening the cinema only and not the bar and cafe, which had significant debts. He said, We have already had three expressions of interest to open it. They are serious players, including a Birmingham company, whom of course we can't name. The offers are to open the cinema only. He added that after a bidding process, the cinema may reopen within 12 months. Almost 6,000 supporters have signed a petition calling for it to reopen. So far, 5,735 have backed the change.org Save Lighthouse Wolverhampton online campaign. Almost 1,500 firefighters in the West Midlands and Staffordshire will decide on whether to vote for strike action after a 5% pay rise was rejected. Fire Brigade's union chiefs turned down the increase and deemed it absolutely disgusting as they reiterated calls for a boost in line with inflation. And now members across the region are set to be balloted in the coming weeks, marking the first national strike over pay since 2003 if they vote in favour. The industrial action would affect 1,334 whole-time firefighters at West Midlands Fire Service and a further 47 firefighter control staff, the union confirmed. Andrew Scattergood, who is the region's executive council member in the union, said, Strike action is always the last resort. It's something every firefighter wants to avoid, but over 10 years of pay restraint has resulted in a real terms pay cut for firefighters. Fire services are partly funded through money raised via council tax and a central government grant which has been reduced every year, Mr Scattergood said. The region's senior fire boss added any worthwhile pay offer would be submitted to the members to decide on, with the union being a democratic organisation. FBU General Secretary Matt Rack added, We have firefighters using food banks. Our members worked through the pandemic to help protect their communities, taking on extra duties to do so. A further real-terms pay cut is an absolutely disgusting way to thank them. There is still an opportunity to resolve this dispute and we will be writing to fire ministers and government departments across the UK requesting urgent meetings. Voting will start on December 5th and end on January 23rd. Three cars have been dumped in Black Country canals within the last week, according to the Canal and River Trust. The waterways charity hit out at the people behind the incidents as they claim each operation to extricate the cars costs £10,000. The car that was in the canal at Delflocks, Dudley, was removed thanks to the Canal and River Trust's operation team who removed it within a few days. The vehicle was first spotted floating in the Dudley Canal near the 10th Lock pub in Briley Hill on Wednesday. A resident near the Delflocks Canal was taking a walk alongside the canal when he spotted the floating vehicle. He said, I often take a walk by the canal and when I spotted it, all I thought was, that is disgusting. It really is disgusting because you think of all the fluids such as oils, brake fluid, it will cause damage to the canal. 
I saw the photos of the car in the canal in Tipton on Monday, and now this. It makes you think they are connected in some way. The car found in Tipton on Monday was a suspected stolen Land Rover, found in a canal lock in Tipton in factory lock number 3. The Canal and River Trust believed that the luxury car had been driven up to the canal and then pushed in. Both vehicles have since been lifted out of the canals. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon, back with your weekly update. How are you? I hope you're keeping well. Now, you may hear some odd noises in the background this week as I record this. You're probably going to think it's a bit early, but it's actually my husband putting our Christmas lights up outside the house. We love Christmas and because we've got lots of young kids, we have lots of decorations and it's been so much fun getting them out already this year. But right, anyway, on to all things Beacon. Now, first up this week, I want to tell you about the Movement for Good Awards. Movement for Goods is awarding £1,000 to 120 charities in the run-up to Christmas. Each nomination we receive increases our chances of being one of the lucky charities it's funded. If you use technology, we'd really appreciate it if you could head over to their website and take a moment to nominate us. You can do so by following this link, www.movementforgood.com. You just need our charity number, which is 216092 and it takes a few minutes to complete. Thank you so much for your support. Next this week, have you booked your table yet? Well, on selected dates in December, we'll be serving up a festive feast at our popular community Christmas lunches. You'll be able to enjoy a welcome drink, a free course meal, and a hot drink and mince pie to finish at our restaurant in our Sedgley Centre. There'll even be live entertainment to get you in the festive spirit. You can find our menu and more information on how to book on our website, www.beaconvision.org. Now, you may have already heard, but we want to give you a quick reminder that orders are now open for the 2023 VIP calendar and diary collection. I know these are really beneficial for a lot of people who are impacted by sight loss. Their large print and clear contrast are ideal for those with sight loss and they're one of our most popular products at our Low Vision Hub. To place an order, call our sight loss advisors on 01902 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. Now, last this week, we're always on the lookout for good quality furniture donations to our shops like a bedroom set that we've just featured on social media that's currently for sale in our Sedgley shop. It's totally beautiful, really dark brown, wooden, just the kind of thing you want in your bedroom to relax. Anyway, if you think you've got a good quality donation that you could make to Beacon, we can collect your items for free. To book a collection, call 01902 880 Monday to Friday. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Here's that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. Andy Street says it is all systems go on government plans that will see the region given greater powers over funding for housing and education. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt confirmed in his autumn statement that talks over a devolution deal for the West Midlands were making progress. 
and West Midlands Mayor, Mr Street, said he expects a formal agreement to be reached with ministers within three months. He said a deal was never in doubt following the return of Michael Gove to government, with the reappointed levelling up secretary known to be a keen proponent of devolving powers away from Whitehall. The region's trailblazer devolution deal, published earlier this year, set out plans that would give the West Midlands Combined Authority control over a range of matters, including post-16 education, careers and housing. It also put forward a case for greater fiscal devolution, which the mayor said would reduce the region's reliance on bids for government cash to fund individual schemes. Mr Street, who has just returned from a trade mission to India, said, Once Michael Gove returned the government's commitment to our devolution deal, it was never in doubt. He has been very clear that he wants to get this done, and the Chancellor confirmed that in his autumn statement. It is all systems go, and I would expect negotiations to conclude over the next two or three months. Mr Street added that talks with ministers are due to continue next week in London. He also hailed the government's commitment to levelling up, which saw Mr Hunt confirm a second round of funding bids, some of which have been submitted by councils in the Black Country, Staffordshire and Shropshire. The commitment is absolutely there. We just need to make sure it is delivered on in the next couple of years. A banqueting suite in Wolverhampton that was shut down after police found a secret £700,000 cannabis factory on the premises has been granted a licence to trade under new management. The Diamond, in Skinner Street, in the city centre, was raided in April 2021, following a tip-off when officers found around 700 plants with a street value worth more than £700,000 on the black market and growing equipment on the upper floors. Four men were later arrested. Licensing bosses gave approval for the licence with a series of conditions attached. Concerns had previously been raised by West Midlands Police, Environmental Health and Public Health, as well as the Licensing Authority. The Licensing Committee heard that mediation had since taken place between the applicant's agent and concerned parties, and a series of proposed modifications to the application were agreed upon. Originally opened as a cinema in 1937, the premises was later a mecca bingo hall before becoming a banqueting suite. It has three events rooms which can accommodate up to 750 people and was registered to host civil weddings, conferences, parties and a resident DJ night before the licence was revoked. It also boasts the only glass mirror ball in Wolverhampton. A former Dudley Council leader has been suspended by the Conservatives amid a row over the Black Country plan. Councillor Anne Millwood, who served as Borough Mayor last year, is sitting as an independent after losing the Tory whip. It is understood that she is currently under investigation after saying she was dismayed and disgusted at the Conservatives' administration's decision to withdraw from the Black Country plan. Last month, Council Leader Patrick Harley announced the authority was pulling out of the plan which earmarked land for thousands of homes across the four boroughs in order to protect Dudley's Greenbelt. But the move did not go down well with all Tory councillors. 
Mrs Millwood is understood to have written to Council Chief Executive Kevin O'Keefe, demanding to know the reasons for the decision and raising concerns about its impact on relationships with other local authorities. In an email to opposition Labour Group members, she called on them for support and said, I'm dismayed and disgusted at the withdrawal and we are not being given the information that is our right as elected members to have. Dudley Council's ruling cabinet this week signed off on £500,000 to draw up a Dudley-only housing plan. Bosses said they were left with no alternative but to pull out of the BCP due to mass public opposition against housing plans on two sites, the Triangle on Swindon Road and land south of Holbeach Lane. The decision sparked anger among the other local authorities, who accused Dudley Council of leaving them high and dry and have vowed to recoup costs. Gornal Councillor Mrs Millwood was leader of the authority from 2009 until she lost her seat in 2011 and served as mayor last year. She has represented the ward for 16 years in two separate stints, starting in 2002. In his autumn statement, Jeremy Hunt outlined tax rises and spending cuts as part of government plans to balance the books in the face of soaring inflation. MPs from across the region have given their response, with Tories hailing more support for pensioners, schools and the NHS, while Labour claimed the Chancellor had been forced to overcompensate for the mistakes of last month's mini-budget. Stourbridge Tory MP Suzanne Webb said Mr Hunt had been fair and honest about the challenges facing the country and the response required. Stuart Anderson, Conservative MP for Wolverhampton South West, said he welcomed the statement, which delivers more for all households with the cost of living, as well as an extra £11 billion for key public services, such as our schools and hospitals. Dudley North MP Marco Longhi hailed the success of his campaign to keep the triple lock for pensioners. He said, I spoke up for pensioners before this budget and I am delighted to have won this fight on behalf of the people who fought and built our country. Wolverhampton South East MP Pat McFadden, Labour's Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, said the UK was stuck in a Tory economic doom loop. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have... The quiz questions for this edition, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later, as always, in Flashback Rogers Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Are you ready? Question one. What was the nationality of the first cruise ship? Question two. How many passengers can be accommodated on the oasis of the seas? Question three. What is the name of the world's largest cruise ship? Question four. How many tonnes of fuel per day on average is a cruise ship thought to use? Question five. What unusual feature do some ships offer passengers? And finally, question six. On average, a cruise ship produces 7 million gallons a year of what? I will be back with the answers later, but for now, 
Good luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. The incoming chief of West Midlands Police has been urged to review a controversial police station closure programme amid claims the force had retreated out of communities. Figures show nearly 80% of the region's police stations with public-facing front desks have been closed down in the last decade, with just four left in the black country. Now the leader of rank-and-file officers has called on Chief Constable Craig Guilford to put an end to the closures, which were instigated by his predecessor, Sir David Thompson, to cut costs. Police Federation Chair Richard Cook, who represents 7,500 officers, said the lack of stations had hit community policing hard. According to official figures, in 2010 there were 44 police stations with front desks in the West Midlands, including 19 in the Black Country. By 2020, all but 10 of them had been closed down, with only West Bromwich, Wolverhampton, Briley Hill and Blockswich left across the four Black Country boroughs. The closures include Dudley Police Station, which shut down in 2017 and has been sold off and transformed into flats. Stourbridge Police Station has undergone a similar redevelopment since closing, while Howells Owen Station in Laurel Lane is in line to be sold off after its front desk closed six years ago. Wentzfield's front came to close in the same year, with the station at Alfred Squire Road due to shut for good in 2025. Mr Guildford had pledged to focus on neighbourhood policing when he takes over next month. A University of Wolverhampton professor has been named as one of the most important researchers in the world. Professor of Data Science Michael Thelwell has been included on Clarivate's annual Highly Cited Researchers 2022 list for the sixth year in a row. Professor Thelwell was recognised following his research on COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy on English language Twitter. Michael and his team carried out an investigation into why people may use Twitter to voice their views about being reluctant to take the COVID vaccine. The research team found that whilst conspiracy theorists were common, there were many that used the platform to express worries and concerns about the vaccination. Michael Thelwell, head of the Statistical Cybermetrics Research Group at the university, said... I am honoured to be recognised once again for my research in collaboration with my colleagues. This is welcome recognition of the research conducted at the University of Wolverhampton. We in the Statistical Cybermetrics and Research Evaluation Group made a special effort to rapidly investigate public reactions to COVID-19 from the start of the pandemic to try to inform the reaction to it. We now plan to address new challenges with artificial intelligence solving business problems. A Wolverhampton-based company is using algae in an attempt to tackle climate change and strip carbon dioxide from the air in the atmosphere. As CO2 emissions wreak havoc on the environment, Carsec is using innovative technology to capture carbon from the atmosphere through the use of algae. While clean energy sources will help to reduce emissions, CARSEC is hoping to tackle the damage that has already been done and reduce the presence of these gases in the air. Research suggests that algae can be 400 times as effective as trees at capturing carbon dioxide, so CARSEC hopes their photobioreactor could help the UK reach its total goal of zero emissions. Co-founder of CARSEC, Tony Wortley, 
hopes that the photobioreactors could be used by businesses to reduce their carbon emissions and could be linked to a building's heating, ventilation, air conditioning or exhaust system to extract carbon dioxide directly. Alternatively, the technology could be used to offset a business's emissions. People are invited to find out more about plans to rebuild a multi-million pound special school at events later this month. Dudley Council is hosting two information sessions about its £15 million investment in the Penns Meadow School to be built on the site of the former Penns Net High School. The sessions will be held on Wednesday, November 23rd from 4 to 6pm and Saturday, November 26th from 10am to midday at the school building on the Tiled House Lane site. People can view designs and hear how the purpose-built building will deliver better facilities for pupils with complex needs, including autism and those with profound and multiple learning difficulties. When built, the school will provide education for 155 children and young people aged 3 to 19 years. It will have state-of-the-art art equipment, therapy rooms, a hydrotherapy pool, changing facilities, outdoor teaching and play areas, community group facilities and 14 bespoke classrooms specifically designed to cater to children with additional needs. Work is expected to start next summer after planning and funding for the school were secured. Councillor Ruth Buttery, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Children's Services said, This is an exciting development in the heart of the community and designed to significantly improve the education for children and young people who attend. It would be great to share our vision for the school with local people and businesses so they can understand its value and consider how they could support the school and its pupils in the future. People can use the visitor car park when attending the information sessions and are asked to enter the building via reception. More local news to follow, but now Pete's got a few ideas on how to help with living with sight loss. Well, this week I thought, um, let's have a look at a few strategies, a few sight loss tips, a few ideas about living at home with sight loss that might, might make life a little bit easier. So start off in your wardrobe where you hang your clothes. Um, and to help identify colours, uh, have you thought about using safety pins? I.e. you put no safety pins on black clothes, maybe one safety pin on blue clothes, two on brown clothes. So the tactile, you, it might be something else, but develop your own system. Could you use safety pins as a tactile way through touch of identifying clothes? Something to think about. Could you use safety pins for keeping socks together as well? Or could you always buy the same coloured socks? So every time you pick up two socks, they're exactly the same. Unless, of course, you like the odd sock look. Now, when you take your shoes off, how about using a clothes peg to clip your shoes together so they're always in pairs and in the correct pairs as well? So when you come to put them on again, you, you can be absolutely sure You've got the matching pair. So a clothes peg. When making a hot drink, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, rather than a teaspoon of sugar, which could, could be messy, 
Maybe a sugar cube could be an alternative. And when chopping vegetables, um, have you thought about using a metal hair comb as a guide? So keep one separate and one of those big metal combs with, you know, with a handle on. And so uh, put that into your vegetables and then use the teeth um, of the comb to make the cuts into the vegetable. So it's nice and neat and less chance of any cuts to yourself, maybe. Have you thought about using different coloured chopping boards when you're chopping vegetables again? So um, we're using contrast here. So if you're chopping a cauliflower, say, or a potato on a white board, then it's white on white. So it's a little bit hard to see. So perhaps you might get a, a red chopping board for that to make it easier to see. And of course, if you're chopping up a red pepper, then you might want to use your white chopping board. So there are different colour chopping boards around. So uh, contrast is, um, is pretty useful there. So have a look for different coloured chopping boards. And on the subject of contrast, um, very helpful around the home. Placemats uh, are quite useful when you think about contrast. So let's say again you're making a hot drink and uh, you've got a white mug and you're putting it on a white surface, a white tablecloth. So it's white on white. So it blends in maybe a little bit harder to see. What So what you could do is get a maybe a dark blue mat, put the dark blue mat on the white tablecloth then put your white mug or cup and saucer on there so you've created a contrast so it's easier to see. Think about that with plates, with with tablecloths, different coloured tablecloths. Coloured beakers could be another one you could use. Uh, pouring water is sometimes difficult. So um, maybe could a coloured beaker help with that? In the bathroom, maybe you've got a white bathroom suite so it's a white loo, white sink, white bath, uh, white shower, and got white soap, white towels, white flannels. So everything's white. So rather than change your bathroom suite, why not change your soap, towels and flannels? So they're a, they're a contrasting colour, so they're just easier to see. In the bedroom, uh, duvets, duvet covers, if they are the same colour as your carpet and where the duvet meets the carpet you can't see the edge so there's a potential tripping hazard there maybe so think about contrast there as well and, and also keep keep it well lit that would be another useful one so contrast and lighting together can be very useful armchair cover is another one to consider as well if you've got an armchair cover think about making it a uh, a contrasting colour to the armchair or settee that you've got so you can clearly identify the edge. Cushions, another one which might be useful. Different coloured cushions, contrasting cushions. So it just makes it a little bit easier to see, a bit easier to use. So just a few sight loss tips there. I hope you found them useful. But what we would love is if you have your own sight loss tips that we could share with others. So we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to ring them in, please do so. Give us a call on 01902 880 111. We'd love to hear your sight loss tips. 
Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. A Christmas tree in the heart of Dudley has been replaced after an outcry from residents and councillors who branded it embarrassing and half-dead. The festive centrepiece on Dudley High Street has been replaced free of charge alongside another in the arcade in Upper Gornal following the backlash. Bosses said they didn't see them before they were delivered and contacted the suppliers who agreed to replace it free of charge just a day after the first ones were put up. Councillor Shaz Salim, Cabinet Member for Highways and Public Realms, said... Christmas is such an important time of year and it is important our town centres look festive and welcoming. We were very disappointed with the quality of the tree delivered to us in Dudley Town Centre. Shoppers and traders expect much better. We don't see them before they are delivered and then we decorate them once they have been put in place. We have therefore been in touch with a supplier and they have agreed to replace it free of charge. The uproar around the tree in Dudley followed on from similar tree issues in Upper Gornal, where residents had complained about the tree that had been installed and councillors had worked to replace it. They will be decorated over the coming days as part of the build-up to Christmas light switch-on events across the borough. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Crowds of people have flocked to sites across the Black Country to see this year's festive lights switch on. Buttons were pressed in Oldbury, Hales Owen and Wolverhampton to turn on the lights amid a string of fun activities and other events. For Hales Owen, weatherman Des Coleman also did the honours on Saturday with special guests including Councillor Andrea Goddard, Deputy Mayor of the Borough. The fun in the town included two converted buses at Life Central Church with soft play facilities, a full nail bar and gaming lounge. Market stalls, competitions, free crafts, a photo booth and refreshments also kept people entertained. Free parking was also available. It marked the first of a series of Christmas events in the borough, with Stourbridge's lights being turned on when it hits November 26, with the Grinch paying a visit to the Rye Market shopping centre from 12pm before he turns on the lights later on that day. Sedgley's lights, meanwhile, were launched on Sunday. Both Dudley and Briley Hill will be lighting up their decorations on December 3rd and both events will feature live entertainment, markets and pantomimes in the run-up to Christmas. And in Wolverhampton, the lights were lit up at Queen Square on Saturday with the fun starting at 3pm with a fun fair, festive market on Dudley Street, real reindeer, face painting, food and drink and more. BBC star Hey Dougie entertained the children whilst singer Tony Christie later performed his hits, including the famous Is This the Way to Amarillo? before joining the Mayor of Wolverhampton, Councillor Sandra Samuels OBE and Father Christmas to switch on the lights at 6pm. Lights will be switched on in Wensfield, Tettenhall, Bilston and Bantock House over this coming week with Father Christmas and the Mayor of Wolverhampton doing the honours, with local artists performing, including the city's very own Dickie Dodd. 
They say the music of the 1960s and 70s will never die, and that's true when it comes to pop harmony group the Montanas. More than 40 years since the group called it a day, they've released a double CD chronicling every tune they ever recorded, some of which had never been released in the UK until now. Although the Montanas are generally thought of as a Wolverhampton group, the group's origins are in Dudley. Lead singer Johnny Jones and original founding member, bass player Ralph Oakley, both attended Dudley Grammar School, and when Oakley left, his place was taken by Jane Elcock, whose father had been drummer with the Art Baker Quartet, who had a residency at the Queen Mary Ballroom. His first group was the Saint Skiffle Group, which came second in a skiffle contest at Dudley Grammar. The Montanas secured a recording contract with Pi Records in 1965, and stayed with the label until the end of the decade, during which time the group had a top 50 hit in America with You've Got To Be Loved. The only problem was no one in America or their record company in Britain told them about it. It was Johnny Jones who spotted it in a weekly music paper that published an American chart. Several of their releases were nearly hits. Chow Baby was one. Let's Get A Little Sentimental was another. But the group had a big following in the Midlands and around the country after supporting the Walker Brothers on a nationwide tour in 1966. The new CD release, The Complete Studio Sessions, gathers together everything the Montanas recorded for Pi, MCA, MAM and Charisma labels and includes several songs that were only released in America and Germany, as well as completely unreleased demos, many of which were written by members of the group. A Kidderminster care home resident, originally from Wolverhampton, has celebrated his 103rd birthday and revealed his secret to living a long and joyful life is to simply enjoy the little things. John, also known as Jack Bevan from Brook Court on Old Nor Road, marked the impressive milestone on November the 10th and was joined by family members, residents and staff to toast the special occasion. Revealing his secret to a long and happy life, Jack said, Don't take things too seriously. Get yourself a good wife and family to share your memories with. Marking the special milestone with a host of plans, including arranging a trip down to one of Jack's favourite cafes, the team went above and beyond to ensure he enjoyed a celebration to remember. With a slice of birthday cake and plenty of special gifts on the day, The team threw Jack a big party and organised a surprise lunch at Brook Court where he was joined by his family. Jack was born in Wolverhampton in 1919 and moved to Stourbridge when he was two years old. Attending school in Oldswinford in Stourbridge, Jack went on to join the army and fight in the Second World War. He served in Dunkirk and is now one of the only survivors left. Jack met his wife at the same period in Kent. They married shortly after, then returned home together to Sourbridge. After returning home from active service, he and Winifred lived with friends for some time before the pair moved into their first home in 1950. Together, the couple went on to have two daughters, Janice and Christine, and three grandchildren, Adam, Alex and Becky. Jack and Winifred also have four great-grandchildren. Up now, it's trivia time. Brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello 
again everyone I don't know what you think but for me this year sped by and here we are at the end of November with Advent in a few days time before we know it the holiday adverts for next year will be on the telly so for now here we go with a few gems about cruise ships now then did you know that the very first purpose-built cruise ship was the Princessin Victoria Louise a German passenger ship of the Hamburg America line it set sail in the summer of 1900 though its size is more similar to a private yacht than a modern liner it was a revolutionary in its idea that passengers could revel in idyllic destinations from the comfort of a luxury ship and the Titanic was only a fraction of the size of modern cruise ships for example the Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas which made a maiden voyage in 2009 is about five times more spacious than the Titanic and while the Titanic was only able to accommodate 2,229 guests the Oasis of the Seas can accommodate 5,400 some cruise ships have virtual balconies a happy feature for those passengers who have an internal cabin without windows that's why Royal Caribbean recently found a way to install virtual balconies that transmit real-time images from the outside of the ship to enhance the experience the world's largest cruise ship the Royal Caribbean's Symphony of the Seas is composed of 18 decks and comes complete with 2759 staterooms 22 dining venues, 24 swimming pools, and a park with more than 20,700 plants. The ship, which debuted in 2018, is about 1,188 feet long. That's almost the length of four football pitches. And cruise ships' environmental impact have been questioned according to research conducted by a German environmental group. Each ship uses on average 150 tonnes of fuel a day, which releases the same amount of particulate matter into the air as about 1 million cars. And according to the Environmental Protection Agency, the average cruise ship produces an astonishing 7 million gallons of sewage per year. Thank goodness cruise ships have water filtration systems on board. You wouldn't want all that smelly stuff going straight into the ocean, would you? One study found that in 2014, cruise ships produce more than 1 billion gallons of sewage well well this week's insight into the world of cruising is a real eye-opener I think I know that there are things there I'd never given a thought to not that I'll ever embark on a cruise I'm sure I think I'll content myself with a few days in the Cotswolds or a seaside week somewhere in your road up I'm off to make sure I've got enough Christmas cards for this year so till next week then, keep well, keep safe, keep warm, ta-ra a bit, ta-ra. Up now, we have to hit what the webfast in store for us. Brought to us as always, by Mina. The weather for this week ahead will be mainly light rain and cloudy with temperatures hovering around 9 to 10 degrees with UV levels expected to be low. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.48am for the sunrise and 16.04pm for the sunset. 
for Friday 25th of November we have light cloud and a moderate breeze with a maximum temperature of 10 degrees. Moving on to the weekend. On Saturday 26th of November we have light rain and a moderate breeze with a maximum temperature of 11 degrees. On Sunday 27th of November we have light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 10 degrees. Moving into next week, Monday 28th of November, again light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 9 degrees. For Tuesday 29th of November, it's light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 10 degrees. On Wednesday 30th of November, it's light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 10 degrees. And finally, moving into December for Thursday, 1st of December, it's again light rain and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 9 degrees. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. Technical director Scott Sellers is set to leave Wolves after becoming the focus of fans' anger over their awful start to the season. The 56-year-old has been at Wolves for more than eight years, having initially joined the coaching staff before being promoted to head of academy in the Fosun era and then technical director in January 2021. Many fans had long questioned Sellers' role in terms of player recruitment. Others had claimed Sellers had become a lightning rod which had deflected criticism away from Fosun and executive chairman Jeff Shee. But with Wolves rock bottom at the Premier League heading into the World Cup hiatus, it appears fans have got their wish, as Shee has decided to act now on Sellers. Julian Lopetegui is adamant that Ruben Neves will stay at Wolves this season, but does not rule out a summer departure. The captain has been Wolves star player in a poor campaign for the club, and he has been linked with a move away in January. Now, the new head coach says he expects the midfielder to stay for the rest of the season, but was not able to rule out a move in the summer, when Nevers will just have one year left on his deal. Lopentigi wants Adama Traore to sign a new contract at Wolves, and has tasked the forward to fire the club to survival this season. Adama is currently in his last season of his Wolves contract, having previously turned down a new deal. Wolves fans have reacted angrily after striker Raul Jimenez played 45 minutes as a substitute for Mexico, having not kicked the ball in anger for his club since August. Jimenez was given permission by Wolves to do rehabilitation in his homeland, but new boss Julian Lopetegui said this week that he thought the striker should not play in the World Cup and instead concentrate on getting back to fitness for Wolves' Premier League survival fight. However, that plea fell on deaf ears in the Mexico camp, when Jimenez was named on the bench for the friendly with Sweden in Spain last Wednesday, and it proved a huge surprise to the Molyneux faithful when Jimenez was introduced after half-time and played 45 minutes in the 2-1 defeat. Steve Davis is in talks over taking a new role in the Wolves Academy. The under-18s boss was interim head coach of the first team for six weeks as they searched for Bruno Large's successor. Julian Lopentigi has also revealed that Tony Roberts will stay on as Wolves' goalkeeping coach. The Welshman, who is now with his country's national team in Qatar for the World Cup, joined Wolves as a part of Bruno Large's backroom staff 
18 months ago. Meanwhile, at the Hawthorns, Carlos Corberan is looking forward to watching the World Cup over dinner with his Albion squad to help build relationships. Albion squad jet out the Costa Blanca for a one-week training camp while the top two tiers in English football break for the World Cup in Qatar. Corberan admits he will use every opportunity in eastern Spain, aside from double training sessions, to encourage players to watch the action in Qatar together, as he believes it can prove a healthy learning and bonding experience. Corberan has been impressed with how Tom Rodgick and Daryl Dyke have responded to World Cup disappointment. There are no baggies players at the major international tournament for the first time since 2002 in Japan and South Korea. Australian creator Rojic and United States striker Dyke will not add their international caps in the next few weeks, having both been overlooked. Corbran, though, praised his players for keeping their focus on the club situation. Carlos Corbran admits Albion will need to monitor Daryl Dyke's training schedule to ensure maximum potential. Dyke, who has endured a nightmare time with injury since his £7 million arrival at the Hawthorns in January, completed his comeback for more than three months on the sidelines, coming on in a 2-0 win against Stoke, which signed the baggies off for the World Cup break. Head coach Corbran believes the club will see the full potential in Dyke when he racks up regular unbroken playing and training time. He's still one young player with a lot of potential in front of him. We need to manage him very well with the intensity and the number of trainings in a row, Corbran said when asked about the 22-year-old Dyke. Prospect Harry Whitwell has been rewarded for several exciting performances for Albion's under-21s this season with first professional contract. The deal made the youngster's 17th birthday week a memorable one and, according to Academy boss Richard Stevens, shows how high the club think of the team. Exciting, energetic midfielder Whitehall has committed to his future at Albion by signing until 2025. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well... Now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Are you ready? Are you sure? Question one. What was the nationality of the first cruise ship? And the answer? German. Question two. How many passengers can be accommodated on the oasis of the seas? And the answer here is... 5,400. Question 3. What is the name of the world's largest cruise ship? The answer, the Symphony of the Seas. Question 4. How many tonnes of fuel per day on average is a cruise ship thought to use? And the answer here is 150 tonnes. Question 5. What unusual feature do some ships offer passengers? And the answer here is virtual balconies. And finally, question six. On average, a cruise ship produces 7 million gallons a year of what? And the answer here is sewage. So, how did you do? Did you get any wrong? Or, more importantly, did you get them all right? (laughs) I will be back with a new flashback quiz next week to test you again. But for now, bye. Thanks, Mina. Now up next, we have an article about garden birds.
Sadly, song thrushes are just one of the bird species that seem to be disappearing from our gardens, woods and fields. Nature correspondent Rupert Evershed reflects on the birds that are no longer common in our gardens. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Have you seen a song thrush recently? On my recent visit to my barber, I was asked out of the blue, where have all the song thrushes gone? I was, of course, immediately pleased to be considered as someone who might possibly have the answer and equally pleased that the question was not, what colour was your hair before it went grey? However, I realised too how difficult that question is to answer, not just for the apparent decline in song thrushes, but also for many of our familiar songbirds over recent years. I could add my own list of similar questions to the barbers. Where have all the house sparrows gone that used to flock in our garden? Where have the swallows gone that used to nest in our eaves? And more recently, where have all the hedgehogs gone that I used to stumble across when shutting my chickens in at night? Maybe these perceived declines are merely local or temporary. After all, I can drive a short distance and find small flocks of house sparrows and walk in the countryside and see swallows catching their last meal before departing south for Africa. These birds are still around, and maybe for those with sparrows and swallows still visiting their garden, there is no perception of loss. And yet my perceptions and those of the barber are correct, and hedgehogs, swallows and sparrows and song thrushes are just a few of the creatures that have experienced massive population declines across Britain over the last 30 years. How do we know? Because of the thousands of records accumulated over the years, many by members of the public, and sent in to local wildlife trusts and national bodies such as the British Trust for Ornithology or the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. These groups collate and interpret the data to reveal the health of wildlife populations across our isles and can flag up concerns relating to changes. The studies and information that spring from this data in turn can inform and influence policymakers at all levels to make changes in favour of wildlife. One of the key documents that helps conservation bodies prioritise their work in relation to birds is the infamous Red List, a list of 52 species of British bird considered to be in grave danger of extinction in this country. Some species on this list are no surprise, like the classically rare red-backed shrike but others come as quite a shock. Starling, lapwing, cuckoo, skylark, and, of course, song thrush. This latter group are all classic common birds of our countryside, and yet are they? The data suggests that these birds are fast becoming scarce, and without help we may be left with an eerie silence when out walking. Gone would be the mimicking twitter of the starlings from our rooftops, the pee-witting of lapwings over farmland, the cuckoo heralding spring and the far-carrying songs of skylarks and song thrushes. It would be easy to despair at this point, but while the picture is generally not good, the data also reveals some success stories. Targeted conservation work and the cooperation of landowners and farmers has meant that two of our rarest breeding birds, the woodlark and the stone curlew, have been moved from the red list to the less critical amber list, thanks to the recovery in their populations. So what about the song thrush? Have you seen one recently? I hope so, but to date their decline remains somewhat of a mystery. The increased use of slug and snail pellets has been cited as a possible cause, but studies by the BTO have suggested that this is not the case and instead loss of pasture to intensive farming and harsh winters are more to blame. 
In the face of such large-scale factors, it is easy to feel helpless, but one way that anyone can help is simply to send in their records of wildlife sightings to help build the bigger picture of the state of the natural world around us. Whether you are simply recording wildlife in your garden or out and about walking, every record helps build a more accurate picture. Every county has its own set of recorders dedicated to compiling records sent in and ensuring that they get passed on to national recorders. So go on, make a difference and get recording. TNF Soundings So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!